0: On any given day, you don't know what's going to happen when you go to work. You could be involved in that ambush situation or a number of things. And I think that goes back to communicating to the public what our law enforcement officers across the state and across this country are really up against in certain circumstances.
1: Well, Sheriff, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. You are the leader of the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. And I know
0: that leadership means a lot to you. So can you explain to us your leadership style? Three foundational pieces of leadership is number one, empathy. Do you really care about what you're doing? And my example I always use of that is in the morning when you say good morning, are you going back to your office or to your patrol car and saying, well, I said good morning and checking the block? Or are you recognizing that the person responded to you in a different way and did you take the time to really see what was going on? Are they having a bad day? Is there an issue or anything like that? So empathy is the first piece. The second, and I think we could all agree on this no matter who we are, is everybody says, well, we didn't communicate well, whether you're in a staff meeting, a boardroom of any Fortune 500 company. So communication, I think it's key. And then the other thing I see, and this is a third component of uh, leadership, is listening. And this is one where, particularly in law enforcement, if you have experience, you are. what do we do? We solve problems. So you immediately want to jump in and solve the problem. So sometimes you don't always hear. Being a good listener and hearing the whole problem I threw, because it may be different. A lot of times, particularly at any supervision level, we just want to solve the problem for the public or for the deputy. Sometimes we don't always hear things. But it's my belief that if you have empathy, you communicate well, and you listen well, loyalty, courage, and all those other leadership attributes will, will come. And it's just a good foundation to really start from. And if you always focus on those, the rest of them um, will will come as long as you're doing the right thing. What is your unique contribution that you're gonna bring? So Sheriff McMahon, just to use it, I would say his leadership style is relationship-based. I can say that my uh, style is also relationship-based. One difference with me, and it's more of what we're seeing in the law enforcement um, reform arena, is a number of areas I don't believe reform is necessary in some of those areas. And I'll just give you an example. And this is where I'll be a bit more um, outgoing in terms of these issues. So when we talk about decertification for law enforcement, that's something I actually support. But I only support that when we're talking about due process. And this is where I think the public has a hard time understanding the police officer Bill of Rights, because when they hear or they, they see something that looks egregious on video, and then they hear the, the law enforcement officer was relieved of duty but paid administrative leave, it right. really is a, um, a, a strong point with the public that, hey, why is that? It seems so obvious. Yeah. Well, you know from being a law enforcement officer and they have the reasonable um, officer standard that that really requires a legal opinion and also to get into the officer's head in terms of their background and experience. So that's where the due process comes in to make sure we do that. But what I would say to the public, too, is because I do support decertification, it's something that, as an employer, you've seen people, any, and I think this is where the public can relate to it. Anybody that gets fired, if you errantly emotionally just fire somebody, guaranteed you're going to pay out. And in our case, it's taxpayer money that gets paid out. Right. So I believe the Peace Officer Bill of Rights works on both things. Number one, protect the officer and then preserve due process. And at the same time, protects the employer in that if a person, if a law enforcement officer does get fired, we do it in a manner that that sticks. If they're a bad cop, they shouldn't be working in this profession. I'm going to be boisterous about a few of those things just so the public truly has an understanding because I see a number of laws coming through the legislature that I don't think are completely understood by the legislator proposing them. It's it's more of an emotional reaction. And I think if I'm able to help the legislature and to help the public understand why we do what we do, I think it puts us in a better place.
1: Yeah, and I will agree. Hands down with you on that one, because as you know, SEBA spends a lot of time in Sacramento. We try to talk to people. We try to educate people. But really being able to come with, you know, a sheriff and someone on the management side as well, because we are representing labor, which, of course, law enforcement is law enforcement, especially on the on the topics and the issues that we need to battle together. But I think that's huge that, you know, you want to go and maybe be a little more vocal and speak on behalf of the troops, because there's there is some educational aspects that are missing, I think, in terms of the policies that are being
0: formed. Some of that we're doing already. I just recently published a letter to a lot of our local legislators. There's some of them that are trying to... Um, modify Prop sixty four if you will and getting it back. Our our, one of our biggest quality of life issues is illegal marijuana. So what I'm trying to do is really be a uniter, a nonpartisan uniter because at the end of the day law enforcement isn't partisan. Right. And getting the legislators to know what community problems we're having and can we make some adjustments to the law that benefit the citizens. I mean you talked about communication and I know
1: you have a masters in communication. Yes. So when morale is down or people just really don't understand law enforcement. How do you think your skills and the things that
0: you learned um, with that education are going to really help the profession, help the troops? Number one, standing, uh, understanding some of the theory theory behind communication as a whole and why people understand also knowing their cultural backgrounds and how some things can, um, really, uh, Move a certain direction based on a cultural outlook. And I think communication, again, being the base and understanding those different community members that we have and the way they perceive things. And then is it a correct perception? And then as the sheriff, getting out in front of that and explaining, again, why we do what we do. And for the troops and morale, if you're constantly getting beat down with how bad you are, and I'm just using the national narrative right. to really exemplify that, it's hard to come to and from work. But I, I gotta tell you, I, I am blown away every day at the men and women in our department that come out and they seem to disregard that. And they know that they're doing something honorable and they're servicing the citizens in a manner that they, they wanna be serviced themselves. So, uh, and I always preach that. what I ex- My expectations really are customer service. You be nice, And with suspects, when it's time not to be nice, then we go through the legal process to be able to take them to jail if necessary, or really what we're there for in the first place, solving the problem.
1: So often, we know that we have a good working relationship, the union and the department, but we are on two different sides of the table, even though not always opposed, but definitely with different viewpoints. In your opinion, what is the position or what is the purpose of a union?
0: We have to work together. And we should work together. And I will never, ever allow anyone in my administration to really have a sideways relationship with our unions because, again, it goes back to those three foundational principles. We have to care about what's going on. Now, we also have to be truthful. So I think that when we do get into a point where there's a difference of opinion, we just are honest about it. But more importantly— that we should support that opinion with facts and reasons so that the members of the union understand what it is and why we feel we're up against it, not just a a flippant opinion.
1: Again, whether we're on the the labor side or the management side, you know, polls and studies have shown, especially recently, that crime is one of the biggest concerns of voters. And so, you know, I guess, however, we can all work collaboratively, including community members and stakeholders to help people feel safe. I would argue that's probably one of the most fundamental things that people need.
0: It's absolutely fundamental. And if we go back to 2011, starting with prison realignment, and explain to the public maybe why they're seeing the incidence of mental health issues, why do they seem so high now? I think you can trace it all the way back to prison realignment. More and more people are out, and there are less and less punishments in terms of drug use. And when I say punishment, I don't mean that that I think people that have an addiction problem don't necessarily need to be in jail. But there are no hooks left in it. And it's kind of like dieting. When the doctor says, hey, Shannon, you need to go on a diet, that gets my attention because medically, it's the hook that makes me do what I should do. It's the same thing. You know, we used to have drug court, and a number of things that gave people an opportunity to have clarity of mind, get rehabilitation, and then move on with their lives. None of those hooks. I don't believe it is more humane right now that we see people on the streets rotting in their own skin because there is really no intervention. And uh, that's the capacity building part that we as the state have to wrap our heads around and what's the best way to do that. I would love to see the courts have options to sentence people who are having those types of issues into facilities that are more like a conservatorship. But again, that's taxpayer dollars and a number of things that voters have to weigh in on.
1: You bring a new look, you know, not that the old look was bad, but it's just this is progress. And with you is a, a young executive team and really a young department what do, you, what do you envision for that youth coming moving forward for the department?
0: It's probably one of the most critical questions that we have right now in, t- in terms of stability. And when I talk about stability, I'm talking about stability for the, the membership in our own department, but also stability for the community. And what I mean by that is there are a number of things going on in the legislature right now to really change the perspective on the office of the sheriff, whether the time we vote for them, whether who could be the sheriff. There are a number of legislative efforts to change that. And I think it's very important that we establish leaders in our department that can maintain that stability. If for some reason, the office of the sheriff did change to a popularity contest rather than somebody that's experienced in doing so. Yeah. You're going to need leaders that know how to maintain stability for the community. And I know and I feel very confident that we have that now. And, uh, and I'm talking about all the way through our newest deputy on up. But when you really look at it, when you're talking about our management team, sergeant on up, some of the most solid people we've ever had are in that business right now and they're great decision makers. And I want to facilitate that, make sure they have the training that's available to them, make sure that they have the experience. And that's the hardest thing right now because yeah. we are moving so fast in terms of, you know, people taking their seats and sitting for a shorter period of time. And then there's some people that sit for a longer period of time. So it's, it's really metering that that and, and, and leveraging those people with talents and certain things that are specific to them when we need them in specific slots. How
1: do you ensure that the right people get into the right places?
0: Obviously we have promotional processes and things of that nature, but I also think it's an autonomy question. So when we go back to the rank of sergeant, lieutenant, and captain, they're the ones closest to their troops. And have to listen to them and what they say in terms of the capabilities of their folks because I'd love to say that I know absolutely everything about everybody and we try to do a great job of that as the executive staff. But the reality is, is they have to have autonomy to communicate with us and let us know who are the movers and shakers and then more importantly give us the examples of those. Everybody can say somebody's great right. because that's their personal experience. But when you have examples, things that go in the, in the community that are, that are going on, and then just other examples of those three foundational processes I saw, if you truly care, people know it. If they also know if you're just checking the block because that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so I want to get those people that truly care and move this department forward in a manner that um, promotes that stability I described earlier.
1: And I want to talk about that, especially when you talk about people in their community. I think one thing that I've noticed on our department, um, especially not having grown up in San Bernardino County, is that there are so many people on this department that grew up here. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about why that's important and
0: how it's maybe unique here. Number one, it's important because you hear that, again, using the national narrative that their police departments don't look like their community. Well, I think everybody realizes that uh, you need to understand that For me, I was hired 30 years ago, so I may have looked like our community, and I am from here also, and I grew up here, was an explorer in the department, a number of things, so of course that's the direction that I wanted to go. But now, what does our community look like? What is the demographic? And then more importantly, don't just look at who's currently here because you tend to look at like captains on up because that's who they have the interaction with. Go to an academy graduation. And when you go to the academy graduation, look at who we're hiring. And I'll just give you an example. If you'll use the extended census, you're looking about, you know, 35% or more Hispanic in San Bernardino County. But we're running about 43% of Hispanic folks that we're hiring in the academy. So that change is occurring, if you will, and they're kids that live here. And it's okay. That's the normal process of things, and we should be conscious of that.
1: Yeah, well, and how do you get law enforcement to look more like the community when you've – you Arguably some people are trying to convince the community that, that law enforcement is the enemy. It's a tough, you know, bridge to gap. SIBA and the department worked together to produce IMU. We had great collaboration with the department and now that film is being shown on your guys' website where you do highlight diversity. Talk to us a little bit about some of the things that the department is doing in
0: that area. Culturally, when you look at what's happening to African-American um, police officers, and this goes across the United States or whatever, I don't think, unless you have a chance to talk to them and really understand what's going on, people wouldn't understand that in some cases they're being highly scrutinized at work, having terrible things said to them on, whether it's on a riot line or a day-to-day type of call. Right. And then you go home. Well, their immediate families are very supportive. They've grown up in law enforcement too, but they have the external families, cousins, uncles, and everything else that may be hearing about the national narrative, and they have that additional pressure. So for an African-American deputy, it's hard to get away from that. And for somebody like me that hasn't experienced that, unless I talk to them and understand it, um, it helps us to make better decisions. And so when I have community meetings, I make sure that I go, look. You can be upset about what law enforcement does, but who's standing up for that African American deputy out there that's getting a barrage of racial slurs and a number of things? Let's let's be equal here. If we're saying we're truly looking out for people, let's look out for everyone.
1: In the last, you know, five months, less than half of year, we've had three deputy sheriffs basically ambushed. Uh, one, you know, Sergeant Vaca, we tragically lost. Two others, literally a miracle that it happened to them. I do understand that the public expects a lot from us, but. I think it's important to note that, you know, our
0: deputies experience a lot as well. On any given day, you don't know what's gonna happen when you go to work. You could be involved in that ambush situation or a number of things. And I think that goes back to communicating to the public What our law enforcement officers across the state and across this country are really up against in certain circumstances and how we can partner with the community to try to stop some of those things. But it really is understanding a number of things that have happened, particularly in this state. And again, I'm not saying it wasn't well intentioned, but is it working? And if it's not working, then maybe we need to go back to some of the things we were doing in the past or modify it and build this capacity that I'm talking about that's missing.
1: Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about or discuss?
0: For SEBA's membership as a whole and just me as the sheriff, if I could just ask of all of our folks, um, and they do this regularly, but really think about it in customer service. You deliver in a customer service capacity for the folks that are, you know, having their worst day, they were burglarized or things like that. That becomes commonplace to us because we answer the call every day. But if we could just remember customer service, and then as it relates to a suspect, same thing. You're nice until it's time not to be nice. And then we, uh, we revert to our training. And I want them to know they're going to be 100% supported by me and my administration and the executive staff in the decisions they make out there because it is difficult. And more importantly, I want them to, number one, thank them for being them. And I'm truly appreciative of what they do. There are a lot of other lines of work people can go in that aren't as scrutinized as our profession is. Man, you got to appreciate somebody that in this environment's willing to come to work and I couldn't be more proud of them.
1: Like you said, I mean, it truly is. I think it really is a calling.
0: It is a calling.